0: The Eagle and Child, episode 24.
1: Mere Christianity, book three, chapter 11, faith.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer, and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends my name is david and last week we were looking at the virtue of charity and today we're going to look at another theological virtue with someone in whom i have the greatest faith matt
1: i do have a lot of experience at faith uh, personally because every single week when we record these i have to have faith that you won't make me sound incredibly stupid <laughs>
0: I do have a folder on my Google Drive of all of the bloopers that we have.
1: There's some bad ones. <laughs> I still don't know if that David Copperfield one's going to make it in or not, is it?
0: We'll have to find oh, out. That
1: was just a rough... It wasn't one of my finer moments. You have a lot of power over me. Mm-hmm. It feels pretty good, doesn't it?
0: With great power comes great responsibility.
1: Yeah, you've, you, you've wielded it well so far. Friends, in this chapter, we're going to be talking about faith, but Lewis actually splits this into two chapters. And so in this first chapter, we're going to look at what does faith mean in a more traditional sense, the way we probably think about it, and also why can we consider it a virtue? And then next week, we'll dive into faith from a deeper, potentially more abstract sense. So we'll just jump into the quote. If we wish to be rational, not now and then, but constantly, we must pray for the gift of faith, for the power to go on believing not in the teeth of reason, but in the teeth of lust in terror, in jealousy, in boredom, and indifference, that which reason, authority, and experience, or all three have once delivered to us for truth. Wow. I like that. There's going to be moments where your authority, your experience, your reason told you something, but in the face, the face of lust and terror and jealousy and boredom, you might stop to believe it. And so that's where faith comes in.
0: So, drinky time. What are we doing?
1: We're back to the McCown 12. <laughs> Since I'm not allowed to drink alcohol for the next 90 days, more or less, I, I take advantage of this. We're getting into the good stuff.
0: So you're doing Exodus 90. Exodus 90. Uh, just yes. tell, tell the people what that is in case they haven't come across it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Exodus 90 is uh, was originally for Catholic men, but also there's, like, there's an Nexus 90 for women. And it's very simple. It's just meant to eliminate distractions in your life. So cut out TV, cut out internet, cut out alcohol, take cold showers, do all these things that allow you to experience more freedom from your desires and appetites and learn to love God better and more fully. But I told the group of guys, you do it with a group of guys, they asked if I wanted to do it and I said completely, but I do a podcast every Sunday where we drink beer or scotch and I'm not giving that up.
0: And on that note, cheers.
1: Cheers. Well, this week we have, by the way, I decided to download the actual commentary on the count 12 because i know the listeners got to be thinking oh, let's 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 get a little bit about what the scotch is appearance so it goes appearance nose and palate i'll keep this quick but appearance a deep amber with strong legs strong legs <laughs> i, I, I get, swear they just make
0: this stuff up just it to gets see. way I better want, i wonder what people will actually say it's like oh yes this has very strong legs
1: this gets way better on the nose it's definitely very aromatic have you read these yet? No. Okay, you tell me what you think, and then I'm going to read it. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not doing it I want it like to see this. the gap between a professional and an amateur talk about scotch. I, I,
0: all I'll say is, I like the smell. Okay. <clears throat> what does the it, professional say?
1: Oaky and hot right off the pour. Loads of oak and perfume reads as somewhat bitter at first, with notes reminiscent of an amaretto sour and a hint of spiced plums. You can totally, you can totally smell the spiced plums, right? <laughs> of course. The nose softens dramatically after a few minutes, settling into dark sherry and plum sweetness.
0: I will definitely say that when you first open the bottle, I could smell it straight away.
1: Yeah. That's the strong legs. (laughs) Now I got to actually do the palate one. Ooh, sweet and full, but it's not overly complex. Lots of sherry, plums powdered sugar, cinnamon and nutmeg. It, give it this silky round mouthfeel. Wouldn't you agree, David?
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh,
1: perfect. In the finish, it's quick. It's got a mild burn, but a long lingering presence of sweetness, reminding me of iced cinnamon rolls.
0: Wow. Well, the person who was clearly watching this <laughs> was very hungry. Um, I'll definitely say, yes, it's it's certainly sweet. There isn't uh, there isn't a very strong burn, but there is a, there is a lovely long long taste afterwards. There is. Okay, let's let's get on with today's chapter. We're now nearing the end of book 3. We just have two chapters left, and they're both entitled Faith. Which I don't think was very helpful. Come on, Jack. You know, call them something different or divide them up differently. I actually thought the demarcation between this chapter and the next chapter was a little odd because he gets so far in this one and then he just stops and then we have to wait until the next chapter.
1: It's like a massive cliffhanger, actually. <laughs> I'm so, not kidding. Like, so, I read it, so
0: at the end, we need to go dun, dun,
1: dun. Seriously, he, his last two sentences, uh, I'm going to butcher these, but if I remember it correctly. Now that the man is awake, we can dive into the faith from the second question, the second perspective. Roughly like that. He, now that the man is awake. It was like a, a Lewis mic drop. <laughs> now that I've got your attention, be ready for next chapter.
0: Okay, so that's how he ends. Here's how he starts. He begins by explaining that there's different meanings to the word faith, different kinds of definitions that you can use, and they refer to slightly different things. And in this chapter, he primarily focuses on the first definition. And as I said, towards the end, he starts looking at the second definition, but really expands upon it and finishes it in the following chapter. So, Matt, what's the first definition he gives for belief?
1: It's it's the standard thing that we would think of. The idea that you're simply believing or accepting the actual doctrines of Christianity.
0: And Jack says that when he was an atheist, he thought this was a little weird. Or at least, he never understood why Christians would regard faith as a virtue.
1: And I thought his point was pretty clever. I was thinking the same thing when he first starts it.
0: Yeah, he says, what's virtuous about believing something? Either the evidence is good, in which case it's just sensible to believe in it, or the evidence is bad, and... You believe it regardless. Well, that's just stupid.
1: Uh, uh, That that was my favorite part, actually. He says if the evidence doesn't suggest it and you believe it, that's not virtuous. That's just
0: stupid. So, So where does morality enter in at all? Yeah. And he says, the thing that I came to realize was that I had a misconception concerning human nature. I saw the human mind as being ruled
1: exclusively by reason. Which that doesn't surprise me. Lewis is probably one of the most reason-based people. If he assumes the world is like him, he's not going to have a very good sample size.
0: But he says that actually wasn't even true for himself. Yeah. His own mind wasn't ruled entirely by reason. He he was probably 95% reason. 95, 96. The average
1: human is probably 50,
0: 50. (laughs) Here's what he says. I was assuming that if the human mind once accepts a thing as true, it will automatically go on regarding it as true until some real reason for reconsidering it turns up. In fact, I was assuming that the human mind is completely ruled by reason. But that is not so. In previous chapters, we've seen that Jack was not a fan of the dentist. A lot of his analogies and things concerning terror, he refers to the dentist. Well, we then find out that he wasn't much of a fan of hospitals or surgeons either.
1: When I read this, I could very much relate to it. I side fact, but when I was 12 years old, I think I was, this is, I think the honest truth, actually, I was in the ER 12 times by the time I was 12. (laughs) And it's been many more since then. I've broken my nose twice, arm twice, ankle twice, fingers fell off. I mean, I've literally had a ton of surgeries. And so he's talking about where this, David was going with this is Lewis brings up uh, anesthesia and this idea that you go into surgery and you know, rationally, reasonably, you're going to be fine. You're going to be under. When they cut you open, you're not going to feel it. You'll wake up. You'll be done. But I can relate to him. He goes, the moment before you go under, your mind is thinking, ah oh, but what if he cuts me too soon? Or what if I wake up in it?
0: Or what if, because back in the day, they would use a, a mask to administer it. Well, they yeah.
1: still do. At least I had it five years ago. Oh, and then okay. they asked you to count backwards from 10. <laughs> and I'd always be like, I'm going to get it this time. You never get it. You get to seven. <laughs> But I think you're right, actually. The most recent one I had was an arm. It was put to my arm. Mm.
0: But he said he was always afraid that they were smothering him.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you, I can relate to that. And so this was an example to him of how emotions play a role in all of this. So you have reason. Your reason told you well before you're fine, but your emotions come into play in the moment. And as creatures, we're very reasonable, but we're also very much influenced by emotions. And so this is what Lewis says. It is not reason that has taken away my faith. On the contrary, my faith is based on reason. It is my imagination and emotions. The battle is between faith and reason on one side and emotion and imagination on the other.
0: And he gives a load of other examples. For example, he talks about a guy who's talking to a pretty girl. And the guy knows that this girl can't be trusted. But when he's with her, she's really pretty, he starts losing his faith in that fact that he knows about her, that she's a gossip, that she's unreliable. And so he starts thinking to himself, well, maybe she'll be different this
1: time. And then he ends up telling her something that he probably shouldn't. I remember when I first, when I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, Well that's actually kind of a sweet sentiment. He wants to see the best in her.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he <laughs> wants to see the best in her because she's pretty.
1: That's probably true. Don't we all, though?
0: Mm, maybe. He, <laughs> <laughs> he also talks about a boy learning to swim. And yeah, the boy knows. He's seen people swim. He knows that he should be able to float but when the instructor takes his hand away and he's got to swim for himself, will he panic? Will he think he's going to drown and therefore start to sink to the bottom of the pool? I actually have my own example of this. A few years ago, I went skydiving and I looked up in advance for the survival statistics. I knew that this was a safe thing to do. I knew that this was a good school to go to. But let me tell you, when you're standing by the open door of the plane, getting ready to jump. All that goes out of the window. <laughs> all you can imagine is your body just splatting into the ground. It's funny, actually, they make you sign a whole load of stuff that says that you have provided for your widow and orphans as you're oh, doing this. Oh my
1: goodness. <laughs> That's like me actually. in am flying not to that extreme because you're not presented with that fact when you're standing in front of the door looking to your death it seems like (laughs) but whenever we hit turbulence i've done all the research there's there's been no plane has ever gone down for turbulence since the 60s so i should have no reason And how many flights are going every single day Mm -hmm. i should never be scared of turbulence in my life and yet the second it starts coming the rosary comes out (laughs) i mean i'm just like i i fear this idea of falling three minutes to my death in an airplane
0: this is funny when i go on a plane and i'm praying the rosary i try and do it subtly because I don't want to freak everyone else out around me. Oh,
1: I completely freaked out the <laughs> woman next to me. I had to have. I thought when I was doing it though. And,
0: and, all, and all they hear in the prayer is now and at the hour of our death.
1: <laughs> I never thought that. I did it in my head, but I'm going to do it out loud next time. <laughs> I like that. With Christianity, it's a very similar story. Obviously reason is involved in our faith and it should be. You should believe it based on the weight of the evidence, your reason. And I like how Lewis says, I'm not asking anyone to accept Christianity if his best reasoning tells him that the weight of the evidence is against it. That's not the point at which faith comes in. Faith in the virtuous sense comes in following the period of reasoning. Here's what Lewis says. Supposing that a man's reason once decided that the weight of evidence is for Christianity, I can tell that man what is going to happen to him in the next few weeks There'll come a moment when there's a bad news or he's in trouble or is living among a lot of other people who do not believe it. And all at once, his emotions will rise up and carry out a sort of blitz on his belief. I like that, blitz on his belief.
0: And again, don't forget this. He's writing to people who have been at war. They went through the blitz. You're right.
1: I didn't think of that. It's clever how he always pulls that in. Continuing, or else there will come a moment when he wants a woman or wants to tell a lie or feels very pleased with himself, or sees a chance of making a little money in some way that is not perfectly fair. Some moment, in fact, at which it would be very convenient if Christianity were not true. And once again, his wishes and desires will carry out a blitz. And he makes it clear that he's not talking about when new evidence against
0: Christianity comes up. He says, we've got to deal with that another time. But he comes back to this idea of when our, when our passions, when our emotions take over, when it would be very convenient to us for Christianity not to be true.
1: And I don't know if this is exactly the same, but I, I, I thought of Mother Teresa here. There were points where her emotions, or feelings, she wasn't feeling God. It wasn't that she had other things like the money thing, obviously. But for her, she's just in a dark place and she wasn't feeling God. But she knows based on a reason and the weight of evidence, this is true. And wasn't that like a decade long?
0: Yeah, towards the end of her life.
1: Yeah. But she stayed faithful. That's the virtue.
0: Yes. Faith is remaining faithful to, in the darkness, what you had once seen in the light.
1: Oh, that's a good one. I'm sure I'm stealing it from somewhere, but I've got no idea where. (laughs) You do a really good job saying quotes that you've probably stolen from somewhere. And I just think, wow, that's a good one, David. Well, sometimes I get it right.
0: The other day when I gave the quotation about uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I said I thought that was Matthew Kelly. I checked, it was.
1: Nice work. Thank you. <laughs> and Lewis says this rebellion of your moods—it's going to come no matter what, you whether should... whether
0: you're a Christian or an atheist.
1: Exactly. And if you don't have that virtue of faith, you're just going to be swaying in the wind, depending on the changing of your moods. Mm. And because of this, we have to train ourselves in the habit of faith. And this is interesting here. This is another. I feel like we need to create a, a hashtag, classic Lewis. I kid you <laughs> not. But he he gives this grand idea where we now come to this conclusion that faith as a virtue is very important because our moods will deceive us and then what does he do he gives us practical tools Mm. very practical tools to overcome it yeah he picks on faith and church attendance and i like that he goes you need to nurture it if i recall he used the word you need to feed it it's like being fed and so the two things he brings up, like you said, one of them is that faith, that prayer. Make sure you are keeping it in front of your eyes through your prayer, through your time alone, through what you're reading. You're keeping these teachings in front of you. When I was reading that, I was thinking of, yeah, imagine if you fell in love with a woman, your wife, and you never spent time with her. Like you had all these reasons why you were in love with her, but you never spent time cultivating that, feeding that. Of course, at some point, you might think you don't love her anymore. I mean, it's the same thing with faith. Keep it in front of you.
0: I'm bringing it to my skydiving example, if you're going to be going skydiving regularly and you're still nervous, spend time looking at the statistics. Remind yourself as to how safe this is and how you can keep yourself safe. Print them
1: off. Read it the second before you're jumping out of the plane. That's what I'd do.
0: Yeah. It was, it was only pride that got me out of that plane. There was no way I was going back down in that plane.
1: <laughs> that would actually work for me too. You're up there. Imagine actually if there's a girl up there with you. You're like, there's no way I can't jump out of this plane.
0: Yeah. I didn't actually tell anyone I was going to do this beforehand, just in
1: case. Oh, see, I would have been the opposite. You tell people you have to do it.
0: (laughs) Maybe I didn't really want to do it. (laughs) Anyway, moving on.
1: So that that was the first one. And the second one is church attendance. It's another way where you're going there and you're cultivating it and you're feeding it.
0: And that scriptural in the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, the author, probably Paul, exhorts the Christians to continue meeting together because we spur one another on.
1: This makes me think of the Catholic teaching on making sure you go to Mass every single Sunday. A lot of people look at that as, it's forcing me, it's obligatory. It's really for our own good. It's not a teaching meant to be, you have to do this because we're requiring you to. It's meant the sense of, how are you going to have a relationship with God if you're not going on a weekly basis? We ask for one hour out of, what, 168 a week just to give to God. And it's sort
0: of like saying, oh, so they're forcing me to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> well, if you don't have it, it's not going to go well for you. It's exactly right. You'll I be like weak. That. You'll be anemic.
1: Yep. You'll be vulnerable. And his conclusion at the end is really applicable today. He points out that you usually don't hear people say, I fell away from faith because the weight of the evidence suggested it. It's usually a slow fade. They'll be like, I drifted apart from the church. That's because they didn't keep it in front of them. They weren't feeding it. I hear that all the time. And when I talk to people I know who don't take faith as seriously, it's never because the evidence... I shouldn't say it's never. That's not giving credit. But in many cases, people aren't saying, well, because the evidence proves to me it's not true. It's just they haven't cultivated it.
0: And sometimes it's a little bit of a combination of the two. Yeah. Someone has allowed their faith to grow cold, and then they face an onslaught, be it personal tragedy or a militant atheist trying to convince them that Christianity and belief in God is irrational. Yes. And in that weakened anemic state, you know, they haven't been going and getting their meals, they haven't been growing strong, they were easily
1: defeated. It's (laughs) almost like you're never eating, you're never strengthening yourself with protein, you're never weightlifting, and then all of a sudden you go and try to lift a bunch of weight, you're just not going to work. So we've looked at
0: one definition of faith, and at this point in the chapter, Jack then switches to talk about this other kind of faith. And he's going to set it up in this chapter and finish it in the next. So, the first definition of faith was the holding to truth despite a storm of emotions. And this second definition of faith relates to our spiritual bankruptcy. And he goes back to what he was saying about pride. And he said, the first thing, if you want to overcome pride, you have to realize that you're prideful. And he now says that the next step on that road is to really try and live out. The moral law. Really live out Christian virtues.
1: I think of that underlined, all capitalized.
0: Really try. Mm. Really try and live out, do as you would be done by. And he says, don't just try this for a week. Because, you know, you can white knuckle it until the end of the week. Mm -hmm. Try it for six weeks and see how you do.
1: Imagine trying for years and see how you do. Even six weeks, he claims, you're going to figure out, you're going to fail. I mean, that's the point. You you will try that and you're going to realize... Wow, I can't do this.
0: Either that, or I would suggest you will lower your standards so much. It's like, well, I didn't kill anybody.
1: I, I, I've fallen prey to that many times. Well, everyone else is this way too. Mm. That's, and it's that's not my, that bad. It's not that bad. Or, or here is the other one. At least I'm trying. Yeah,
0: which is true. At well, least and, you and are actually trying. You're
1: right, as I say that, that's a good thing.
0: Yes, yeah. but but don't therefore give yourself an A plus just yes. because you were trying.
1: Recognize that. <laughs> It's like you're getting a D in terms of how close you are to it. You're getting an A for trying, and that's what God's actually focusing on. But if you're objectively measuring yourself on your actual achievement, you're not even close.
0: Lewis says that at the end of the six weeks, you will see how badly you did. He said you might have even fallen lower from the point at which you've begun. And you've discovered some truths about yourself. He says that no man knows how bad he is until he really tries to be good. That's a good one. Yeah, I think of students who say, oh, yeah, I got a D on that exam, but I wasn't really trying. Mm -hmm. It's like, what would you have got if you really tried?
1: Yeah. Because that's scary. Which is why they don't actually ask that question. It's a lot easier just to say I didn't try.
0: And Jack has a really interesting side point here. He says that only good people really understand temptation. And he says this because they're the only ones who stand up to it for the full duration says you don't find out how strong the German army is by just giving up against it. You've got to fight against it.
1: With everything you have.
0: Exactly. And if you give into a temptation after five minutes, you won't know what it would have been like in an hour or two.
1: I love how he says even bad people, they don't actually know about badness. Hmm. Because similarly, they're not trying to be good. And he describes Jesus as the only man who
0: truly understands because he withstood all this temptation. Yeah. Jack describes him as the ultimate realist.
1: This really trying to live a good life, this true attempt to, to live the Christian teachings out to the fullest of their standards, it teaches us two things. And the very first one is we can't earn salvation. Lewis points out that before they come to Christian faith in a deep sense, a lot of people have this idea, this grand bargain or this contract to use as a language that if there's this this god that's administering this exam and if we get good marks we'll get to heaven but in reality if we actually try to get good marks we're going to realize we're all failing and so therefore we can't earn salvation he says if there was any
0: idea that god had set us a sort of exam that we might get good marks by deserving them well that's now been all wiped out in our attempt to try and live a live a good life to fully live out do as you would be done by he says if there was any idea of a sort of bargain any idea that we could perform our side of the contract and thus put God in our debts so that it was up to him in mere justice to perform his side, well, that's just been wiped out.
1: That's the key. Put him in our debts. Mm-hmm. Because he owes it, me heaven. Yeah, I, I've, re- I've achieved the standard and I, I now should get acceptance to heaven. Well, we know that's pride and that caused the fall. Mm. So there's no way that could ever be possible to the reascent.
0: And if we try it, we realize we fail. And he says that God has been waiting for the moment at which we discover that there is no question of earning a pass mark in this exam or putting him into your debt. Yeah. Because what we always want to do is for God to ignore our bad and praise our good.
1: Which is what we do really well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The second truth we learn from truly trying to live out the Christian faith and failing is that we can never actually give God anything that is not already his.
0: He says every faculty you have, the power of thinking and moving your limbs from moment to moment, that's given to you by God. And so he says that if we, if we devoted everything to God, we still wouldn't be giving him
1: anything that he didn't give us already. Oh, that is, I mean, when I read that at first, wow. Reflect on that. We can't give him anything that was not already his in a sense.
0: And he compares it to a child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me five bucks. He uses old fashioned money, but I'm going to translate it into American. He says. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, he says, Daddy, give me five bucks so I can buy you a, a birthday present. He says that the father would be a fool if he thought that he was five dollars up on that transaction. No, he gave the five dollars to his son in order for his son to ultimately give it back to him.
1: Mm-hmm. And here's that conclusion That is is the Lewis mic drop. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It is after this that real life begins. The man is awake now. We can now go on to talk of faith in the second sense. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) the man is now awake.
0: Oh, and we'll be picking that up in the final chapter of book three next week. As usual... My outline and the links to the resources will be in the show notes. And we now have one more chapter until we're done with book three. So if you'd like to send us some thoughts on the book or the podcast, you can contact us through restlesspilgrim.net or on Twitter or Instagram through at with Jack.
1: And until next time,
0: further up and further in.
1: Cheers. Cheers.